Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And this is Ellie. I'm Mariam Bazid. I use they, them pronouns. I am dialing in from close to Birmingham, UK, where I'm visiting my twin brother. Um, normally, I live in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm Egyptian. I'm an immigrant. I had no idea you had a twin. How's it been? How's it been like visiting family? You've probably, you haven't seen each other for a long time, probably. Like seven years. What? Oh, uh, God. I was thinking like yeah. pandemic, but. No, it's been a long time because it, it was already a long time when the pandemic started. And then that was around the time when we would have seen each other. So like at the five year mark, which is still a very long time. But then the pandemic happened and he's a doctor. He's the one who made our parents' dreams come true. Um, so, <laughs> so he was the first responder. So it was like just difficult in general to, um, to plan a visit. Wow. But I also have been seeing a niece and a nephew that I have. So just to give you an idea, like the last time I saw one of them, he was 14 years old and now he's 21 and an engineer. God. And yeah, the other one was like 17. The last time I saw her is like a 24 year old now. So it's it's a little I'm at like, like a little bit in time land where I'm just like, what happened? What is time? Wow. Yeah. Oh, seven years. That. I'm so glad it's you're such a long time. Yeah, like they grew up in that time. Yeah, essentially. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think I like forget that about, you know, it's a, a lot of just immigrant stories are just like, you know, you get to see your family in these like um, montages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was, I was thinking more would be like, so then the time skip happened and seven years later pass and like, you don't feel it at all. Now they've had all this development and plot happen and you need to be caught up. Yeah. Is that the first, yeah. is that your first time visiting them in England? Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. my nieces and nephews are here for, you know, for university, for college. So um, it's fairly new for them to be living here anyway. Um, my brother's been here for a couple of years, but just like time, logistics, all of that. Got you. Wow. Okay. And then when you're not in england what you do sure um i live in brooklyn new york um i'm a writer and a performer um as a writer i write in multiple genres that include um prose fiction and non-fiction plays um and poetry i'm probably newest to poetry i kind of started learning how to write that um, because of the pandemic, I had so much time, so much anxiety, and what I did with it was learn how to write poetry. <laughs> um, and as a performer, I do spoken word, um, I sing Arabic music, um, I'm a stage actor and a voice actor, and honestly, anything anybody will pay me for, I'll do. So that's, I do that. Um, <laughs> I host a salon at my house that's been happening since 2015, that's like a um, world music sort of like feature followed by an open mic night that's a big part of my life I feel like so I curate that and, and run it and host it and do all those things I cook a lot yeah I, I that's that's a pretty good run <laughs> yeah I guess um to rewind a little bit uh which of these things came first in your life like what was your first um experience or um kind of foray into either performing or writing or any of these things? Um, I think probably writing. I've been studying like as a craft probably the, the longest. 
with that kind of like how it's developed is that I would think, you know, like I started with like, I'm a good academic, but I don't write creatively. And then I tried to write creatively and that went fine. <laughs> um, and that was like fiction mostly at the time and some essays and sort of a, a, a couple of years, not a couple of years, like 10 years after I graduated college, I um, decided to try to pursue it a little more seriously. I applied um, for MFA programs and went to Hunter College for fiction. While I was doing that, I uh, was part of Dan Fishback's sort of like a residency slash fellowship for folks who were queer, who had never done any sort of like solo performance work and, and who wanted to, who wanted to kind of delve into it. And so in like under the auspices of that, um, I worked on and developed a solo piece that eventually ended up becoming my first play entitled Peace Camp Org, which is an autobiographical, musical-ish comedy, an anti-Zionist one, <laughs> about peace camp. Um, and that was my very first play. You know, I, I like had submitted it to a couple of festivals, so got to produce it once in New York and to do a stage reading once in London. Wait, to, um, just to pause here for a second, can you explain what exactly Peace Camp is? Yes. So this this is when I was 16 years old, I applied and was accepted into a program called Seeds of Peace. I was not the most oh, politically sophisticated at the time. Yeah, I know that you like the name says fucking everything, but <laughs> well, it also um, sounds like they would recruit 16 year olds to do that and make a point about which 16 year olds are in it. Yeah, I mean, the whole model was suspicious, right? So it was like all this stuff about like people to people peacemaking and like the future and the children and all of this stuff. And it was a lot of feel good fluff that that um, also sort of, you know, the main focus of the camp was quote unquote, the conflict in Israel, Palestine, um, i.e. the occupation. It was sort of like framing around all of this, like we have to um, acknowledge the narrative on both sides and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it was, it was you know, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Yeah. Um, I, I would not be involved in it today. And I have a lot of criticism about it today. Um, at the time, I will say like, in some ways, maybe it like saved my life. <laughs> Oh, it just came in when I was like very lonely and sad mm -hmm. and things were not like going well in, in our family life and it was an escape and a way of feeling part of something larger and suddenly I had all these friends all over the world and purpose and like all of this stuff. Um, and maybe the, the most practically sort of it was because of my involvement in that organization that I was able to get a full scholarship to study in the U.S. And I don't know what my life as a queer person uh, and a non-binary person would have been like if I had had only the option of Cairo. So the play was a lot about that, was about going there as a 16-year-old, kind of what was going on in my family life at the time, my awakening, my political awakening, my queer awakening, and, you know, obviously the relationship with my mom, so. <laughs> was it, you said it was like semi autic biographical but also kind of fictional no no it is it's entirely oh, it was, it was really autobiographical okay yeah i um, think it's interesting how people um because sometimes fiction is kind of autobiographical too but not 
not exactly. Yeah, I mean, I I will say anytime I I delve into any fictional writing, like it's at least emotionally autobiographical. Like mm-hmm. I understand all the all the kind of like the emotional resonances that I'm trying to put down on the page um, from a very personal place. Right. And that sounds that sounds really cool. Uh, but like, not all political awakenings start in the best places, you know. So yeah. it's really cool that you've grown and become better from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a great number of things had to happen for for that to be true, and I'm thankful for all of them for sure. So I feel like I um, detoured when you were telling us kind of about your writing trajectory. So this was. Um, like one of your first projects in that uh, kind of vein. And then where'd you go from there? Yeah, so that was the first thing that I did um, with theater. Um, And at the same time, I was also kind of trying to step more into my shoes as a performer. Um, And so I was auditioning for things, basically was performing any on any stage that would have me um, and was working on myself as a stage actor as well. And during my MFA, I had started a novel project that's sort of still ongoing. I finished my MFA in 2018 and wrote some short stories in that. And then I think the the sort of like the newest development for me really has been poetry, which I took my very first poetry workshop in June 2020 with Hala Alien, who's a Palestinian American poet and novelist and many, many, many other things, psychotherapist. (laughs) That was in direct response to just being like absolutely anxiety riddled by the conditions of the pandemic, like being an immigrant where all of my blood family was abroad. I couldn't fly to anyone. I was expecting like a phone call at any time to be like somebody's dead and you just like have to deal with it in your apartment alone in Brooklyn. Um, So I was going a little bit crazy, I think, and needed to do something. And I'd always been interested in poetry um, because of a lot of like, you know, ESL related imposter syndrome, English as a second language. Um, I think I had kind of stayed away from it thinking I didn't understand it and didn't like it and didn't read it and didn't all these things. And then I started learning it and, and realized that probably it's where I should have been working all along. I mean, whatever, I'm glad to be a multidisciplinary writer. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say like, I took to poetry a lot faster than I thought I would and, and had a lot of competence going into it that I, that I found surprising. I've already seen some of your poetry and it is ex- stunning. I mean, like you, you wrote something with um, Nibal Mesud. Yes, that was my first song commission. It was so exciting. Yeah. Oh my God. That was gorgeous. They they let us see it. And yeah. Yeah, that. thank you for saying that. I, I also Nibal's composition of just the Padima, the the like long ass introduction, and it was gorgeous. And I, I can't wait to hear it like actually set to music. When I read that, I just had assumed you had been writing poetry forever. And so this is actually really surprising. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you for saying that. I yeah. mean, it was really easy for me to, um, like, speaking of kind of like emotional resonances being autobiographical, like, Nibal was coming in with kind of like a kernel of something from their own life um, that was about like the distance between people that immigration 
forces upon upon the person you know like in their case i think they were either born in the u.s or had moved there very like as a child i don't exactly remember but the piece was kind of just about the like distance between them and their family who were like quote unquote fresh off the boat immigrants or whatever mm -hmm. and so i felt all of that i mean i i also i didn't mention but i was born in the gulf uh in kuwait to egyptian mm -hmm. parents which is a very very specific kind of story as well <laughs> you know like I, I i know very very intimately the experience of like everyone you love not everyone but a lot of people you love being far away and seeing them only occasionally and with these like vast stretches of time and and kind of like understanding people's biography with all these gaps yeah it's always weird for me to think about my my father's side in saudi arabia and just knowing that Yes, we've, my cousin, for example, like my cousins and I will have all these written conversations with each other, but ultimately I don't know most of their lives, even though we're supposedly very close in a certain way, like we're close in some ways, but then I sometimes I'm like, wow, we really don't know about each other's day to day or it's kind of sad when, you know, when I stop and thinking about that our relationship is just filled with all these knowledge gaps like you said yeah for sure i mean it it breaks my heart <laughs> on a daily basis i think because um, yeah yeah like this visit for example i am not just encountering like seven years of physical growth and aging and maturing and you know with my young niece and nephew who, who turned into adults when I wasn't looking mm -hmm. and with my twin brother who's my twin who I haven't seen in seven years but like, like personality changes you know like oh, <laughs> where like they're uh -huh. becoming who they are and, and in the case of my older brother like he's the last time I saw him he was 30 and now we're 37 and like you know getting entrenched into our habits and likes and dislikes and all of those things so, so that's part of it too and then add the sort of like the silence and the distance of the closet and of trying to like navigate family relationships through homophobia after like a lot of silence and secrecy and you end up with people who really don't know a ton about each other Clearly a lot of your work is very personal, very autobiographical. What, what's been your kind of decision process of knowing like when you want to put out um, like personal stories and personal details about your life, especially like, I don't know if you've navigated like, oh, someone might find this if I um, publish it publicly or I am somehow ready to put this into the public, but not ready to um, have this conversation with people who are close to me, which is this weird paradox. Yeah, I mean, the the first couple of things that I ever published, I think I published under a pseudonym or something mm -hmm. like that. I think that went away pretty quickly just because I could not, like, I couldn't do it, you know? <laughs> like, my creative work is, is, like, is what I care about in terms of, like, what I produce in the world, what I make in the world, probably the most. And it like felt like daggers to have to put something out into the world and not have it like link back to me when it was something I was so proud of yeah. and so happy to have found just like for my own 
mental health for my own survival for my own all of those things and to have to give it up just was not actually tenable even though I was closeted for so many years like so many years so I was like willing to hide myself as a person right yeah. like sit in the living room with my family and actually be able to say nothing about my actual real life but I could not do it with my work so I that didn't last for very long that that difference is fascinating like what you're willing to um hide in your personal life versus your creative work I mean I guess it says a lot about you as a person <laughs> what was your like oh, or... like my training to disappear myself right <laughs> What was your oh moment or like your moment where you're like, no, I don't want to hide this anymore. Like you, was there like a particular turning point there where you're just like, I have to share this with the family? No, I, I'm still like, you know, when I publish something, I, I don't like send it to all my family. And I'm like, here, look at this. There's also like, you know, some members of my family speak really fluent English, some don't. So like there is a language access thing. Um, I just meant more like once something was out there publicly in the world, I was putting my name on it. And if somebody found it, I was like, I, I you know, whatever, I can't like, I can't get life to the possibility that something bad might happen if somebody made stumbles upon this. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of out of your control and you're kind of giving it up to whatever will happen at that point. Yeah, well, and as someone who's like, you know, maybe this is, this still feels like a pie in the sky kind of dream for sure. But like the dream is that I would make my living from solely my creative work and not have to do all the things that I do to pay my rent that I don't like doing that tap my energy, all of that. Yeah. And so the idea that that would even be possible, I mean, unless I'm Elena Ferrante, I guess, <laughs> like, you know, like how can you be a performer and, and just like disconnect yourself from everything that you're making? Like there just wasn't a way for me. I guess going back a second to what we were saying, we were saying before about discovering poetry in the pandemic. I was also surprised when you said that you had never done poetry before, because um, I don't know, even like your stage works that I've heard, there's, it, it, it feels like it's not poetry, but there's something very poetic about them. Like not necessarily straight descriptive prose, but a lot of like, wordplay or a lot of I don't know I feel like poetry is something that says things in the gaps you know um like you give a little bit of information and it's it's the stuff that you kind of don't say that has a lot of meaning to it um I don't know if this is making sense but I think there's I don't I, like everything that I've heard you read has had a certain poetic sensibility so it makes a lot of sense when you say that um you kind of naturally gravitated towards poetry once you got there. Yeah, and I think, thank you for saying that, and, and I do think I recognize that in my own prose work as well, like, I, the word play, the kind of, like, that they're, yeah, the, the poetic influence that you're talking about, or the poetic bent or something, I think a couple of things were at work in me, sort of, like, waiting so long to approach the genre, which is that, like, my poetry education ended with my GCSEs, where we were <laughs> You know, like still reading like my last duchess and like, I don't know, like some old British bullshit, yeah. you know. Um, and so the the sort of like the landscape of contemporary poetry was completely mysterious to me. I didn't feel like I understood it. My first few experiences in poetry spaces, which I, I do not think are the rule generally, but they felt extremely judgmental and like you know, you had to come in with like a very, very specific kind of perspective and understanding 
to like yeah. fit in or to be taken seriously or something or, or something so that was definitely a play and then starting to learn it actually was was the realization of exactly what you're saying is that like poetry can be anything <laughs> like it does most of its work in the gaps between like the lines and what they don't say and, and the abstraction of them and how different people might interpret them and all of these different things and that there was like so much play in it like there's so much like form and there's just so much experimentation it's exciting so so that was like a really I feel like once I I realized that it was very quickly like oh poetry it can can be like a lot of different things and I can write in it in a lot of different modes and then I think as a as a creative person like a thing that I'm always battling is my own imposter syndrome which I have a really healthy dose of um so it's just like working on my self-esteem and just being like I Mariam you're not stupid like I have to remind myself that several times a day <laughs> you know and like do I wish that wasn't the case sure is that who I wake up to every morning yes and I have to like work work with with that person and yeah. it, it becomes easier to believe over time yeah, um, I guess. Uh, and then I feel like I'm jumping around a lot. Um, but I'm curious in terms of uh, like stage work and acting, apart from um, your own solo work, what's it like kind of navigating the theater scene being um, non-binary and being Egyptian? And how has, yeah, I guess how has kind of casting played out for you? It, it's the stage work is is a little bit more piecemeal just because I like I don't have the time really to be time yeah. or pursuing those so a lot of it has been word of mouth like somebody hears about me from someone and is like here you should talk to this person um you know sometimes I have been cast in things because I speak Arabic or because of whatever so so that's been like I think less of a really like structured with a strategy kind of pursuit for me. Like it's, it's just kind of been like, as it happens, I'm happy when it happens and it's great and I love it. Um, and I do feel like every time I do it, I get better. Navigating as a non-binary person is interesting. I don't mind um, like presenting uh, in like femme when I'm on stage. Like I am very aware that I'm putting on a character and it doesn't feel it's not dysmorphic for me or uncomfortable for me in any way. Honestly, the trip to my bodega is worse where I know I'm going to get mammed and that's just who I am walking in the world. You know, I'm not like clothed in a character. Um, so that hasn't been as much of an issue. And it's, you know, there's also like times when like pleasantly surprised, like I, um, the current play that I'm working on um, in collaboration with Camelia Umayma Yusuf is is one where I like will actually just get to play a man you know and that's that's cool <laughs> yeah it seems like a good system like you take it when it comes and we've been working from there um I I would love to eventually be doing more with it like I'd love to break into tv I'd love to just be doing it more consistently but it's not one of the things that I can like put hours into very consistently so I, I save that for mostly my like writing on paper kind of mm -hmm. do you want to talk about anything that you are working on right now or like have kind of in the 
near future besides seeing your twin yeah okay so what am i working on right now i think the thing that's coming up the soonest um is my play written kind of my yusuf called kilobatra uh in death more radiant um the kilobatra part is how egyptians pronounce cleopatra Um, and that's happening in Dearborn, Michigan at the Arab American National Museum. Uh, That's where it's premiering in mid-December. We're starting rehearsals for that in uh, early November, so that's, I'm coming back to the States and like directly kind of going into the rehearsal room. So that's happening. I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about where it's being presented because it meant that like we could write a play in English and in Arabic. So so it's a bilingual play the whole way through, which was an exciting prospect for me. Like I didn't think that that would be possible as a person writing for a mostly English speaking audience um, in English, you know? So, so that has been cool and getting to perform in Arabic is gonna be amazing. There's a lot that I'm excited about um, for really that. Awesome. Wait, sorry, um, one, one interjecting question. Um, have you done a yeah. lot of, uh, or how much writing or performing in Arabic, if any, have you been able to do? Almost none, almost okay. none. Like it's it's new to me. Also as, as part of kind of like, how am I going to fill my time in the pandemic? <laughs> I started reading more um, poetry in Arabic. Um, it is, I did grow up speaking it at home, you know, I grew up in Kuwait and Egypt, and it, it was the language that my family used mm-hmm. um, with one another, but my education has always been in English. So my written English is much better than my written Arabic. And of course, that is like contributed to by the fact that, you know, like there are two modes of Arabic, kind of the written mode and the spoken mode. So even if you're fluent in one doesn't mean that you're any good at the other. So it's definitely been a, a learning process and the the parts that I wrote myself in Arabic for this play are all in Egyptian colloquial which which felt actually pretty easy easier than I thought it would be um, and then the parts that are in modern standard Arabic that are more poetic um, are all kind of like sourced from different texts and how I worked with them is by kind of like translating snippets of them to, to be said by like other folks in the in the play who are not the like Arabic speaking people. Anyway, it's it's a little complicated <laughs> to explain. Wait, but... this, or if you want uh, to tell us just a little bit more about that, that's kind of interesting. Sure. Um... So the play, as Camilla and I envisioned it, is is happening in three different worlds that kind of exist simultaneously on stage. Uh, Sometimes they well in and out of existence, but for the most part, there's sort of like three things happening all at the same time. Um, One of the worlds is the world of the play and the playwrights and the audience. Uh, The other world is the time of Cleopatra, um, right before... She loses the Battle of Actium, which was about a year before she dies. And that is happening entirely in English. And then the third world is 1930s Cairo. Um, and that is happening entirely in Arabic and is also quoting, excerpting a lot of um, this play written by Ahmad Shaui, who's an Egyptian poet and who'd written the very first play written entirely in Arabic verse, 
um, specifically as a response to Shakespeare, and kind of that's why he picked the form. So, so, so that explains kind of the registers, like the the modern standard Arabic stuff is not is not my own work. I'm quoting Ahmad Shawi and kind of like using those snippets um, as needed in like other other worlds of the play. But I get to play Ahmad Shawi, so I will I get to like you know, speak in Egyptian colloquial when he's just being Ahmad Shawi in the world. And then also I get to perform um, this play that he's written in verse in like a higher kind of form of Arabic or, or whatever. Um, that sounds awesome. I'm so excited, Nadia, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also a play that we're trying to make fully accessible to speakers of both languages. So it's going to be subtitled throughout, all the English is subtitled in Arabic throughout, all the Arabic is subtitled in English throughout. Um, and we're doing that work ourselves, like I'm doing most of the translation from Arabic into English and yeah, that's been interesting too. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot, but also just really awesome. And specifically about this play, it should be announced fairly soon by the Arab American National Museum. So I will probably be like shilling about it very, very soon as soon as the, um, as soon as the announcement goes up. Most recently in, um, August of this past year, um, I started like phase one of a collaboration with visual artist Jacob Nader, who's also a queer Swana um, creative, <laughs> um, mainly a, a, a sculptor and a visual artist, um, and also recently wrote his first novel. So we started working on a sort of multimedia project um, currently titled postmortem family vacation <laughs> where um, we're sort of trying to imagine that my dead parents, like what would happen if they came and visited me in New York. Wow. And so he was making puppets of them. Um, I was sort of trying to figure out how much of this is going to be like a hybrid poetry collage thing and also an audiovisual installation and all of those things. So I was working on kind of the eventual text that will accompany this project. Um, and Jacob was making the sculptures and the puppets. Wow. It was, it was also just like such, so much hard work. Oh my God, I cried so many times during that residency. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. Sure. That's digging, digging into a lot that you probably don't necessarily always confront digging in there and then also with puppets <laughs> yeah which are already kind of like terrifying things yeah. right? <laughs> um well and the, and these were meant to sort of like look like a little decomposing maybe a little ghostly a little cool. something um so so they actually look fairly disturbing but i think also very sort of like sympathetic, empathetic, something like that as well um, because of Jacob's particular genius. But to speak to something that, that Alia just mentioned of, of it's being like something that it, it would have been extra difficult because it's kind of a thing that maybe one doesn't delve into as often um, is actually that the, the impetus for the project was partly that 
um, I am haunted by these losses, like, and I mean that in a very <laughs> literal sense, like, I think of my parents every single day, several times a day. My father has been dead for 27 years. My mother has been dead for 16. Um, you know, it's a long time for people to stay with you. And I think some part of this project was about imagining not only how to like make physical a visitation but maybe thinking of it as some kind of process of like exorcism or something or at the very least making physical this thing that's like a haunting that I experience as electrical signals in my brain that nobody else can see um and it it actually feels a little bit like a relief to have physical embodiment for this thing you know, like to see them and be like, oh, there you are. You're not just like walking around with me in my head all the time. There you are. You're physical. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's your your way of bringing them back externally, too. Yeah. And hopefully sending them away forever. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds yeah. like me. I don't mean it that way at all. I love my parents I and I miss them, but I am also like feel ready to free up some of the real estate in my brain and, and heart from like loss and grief. That makes total sense. Yeah. It's like, you're still going to carry the memory, but the actual, um, you, you want probably freedom for yourself. You want them to move forward. Yeah. Um, and then honestly, I'm always working on like 18 different things. So there's a lot more I could talk about, but I think I think that's, those are like the two biggest things kind of that, um, that are in, in, are in progress right now. Um, where can people like follow you or find out more about your stuff and when it's coming up? I have two Instagram accounts. Um, one is at putteraholic, P-U-T-T-E-R-H-O-L-I-C. And the other is at cult of Bazid which is just cult of and then my last name please go follow them and um stay tuned for these projects um and then you can as always find us at the queer arabs on instagram facebook and twitter and at thequeerarabs.com and you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com if you have any questions suggestions thoughts comments or insults See y'all. <laughs> I've never had anyone invite insults before, Nadia. Just send us your hate mail, you know? <laughs> like, do it over email, not in, like, our DMs. Just be like, who would make concerns? <laughs> Everyone, please direct any hate mail that is for me, care of Nadia Khairu. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both for asking me. It's such a pleasure. Mm -hmm.